And I am so excited for tonight. Wherever you're tuned in from, can I just say this? that uh, you belong here and that you have a place here in church home, whether if you are a part of our community or if you just uh, tuned in from wherever you are, um, can I just say that you are a part of church home. And tonight, I promise you, uh, is for you. Whether you think this or not, tonight is for you. And I'm really excited because when I think about my life, I'm like, okay, let me just think about a couple things which maybe you don't know. The first thing, maybe you don't know my age. The first thing is that I am 25 years old. I know I look like I'm 36 because of my mustache, but I am 25. I also am uh, recently married, like Karen said. My wife, Christy, is the love of my life. I actually have a picture from our wedding day. Guess what? We got married during COVID. Got married during COVID. Here's a picture. And I hope that you're just like, hey, even though it was during COVID, it was so worth it. It was an amazing wedding. It was a dream. And so uh, if you're thinking about getting engaged or married during COVID, I recommend it. Just go ahead and do it. It'll be a small wedding. It'll be maybe five people or less. Some people I know have done a Zoom wedding. And so uh, we didn't do that. We, uh, we did an actual small wedding with our family. It was the best time. But um, tonight I'm so excited to be here, so excited that you are here. And I do not take this lightly being here, being able to share. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is just how grateful I am for our pastors, Judah and Chelsea, and the investment that they've not just had into this community, but in my life. I know I would not be here today and not be where I am in life, and even probably wouldn't have married the woman that I married uh, if it wasn't for Judah and Chelsea. And so I just wanna say thank you, thank you, thank you. And when I think about where we are as a church, um, the reality is that Judah and Chelsea have taken upon themselves a fight which not many are fighting, and that's a fight for racial justice. And can I just say on behalf of the black staff members of our church, and quite frankly for the black people in church home, uh, we are grateful for your investment, for your fight, that uh, we are going to be a church that looks like heaven. And we're going to talk about that today. And when I was even just thinking about this, I have to acknowledge that I am a black man. You might be looking, you're like, I know. Maybe you just were trying to think, mm, I don't know what color he is. Uh, I am a black man. And the cool thing about this moment is that this is a moment that in history couldn't happen. You see, whether you knew this or not, the way the black church began was because the white church um, had racism and had segregation in it to the point where black, the black people could not attend church with white people, and so the black church started. You're like, why are you bringing this up? I believe as a church, it is important to look at our history of the American church, and so that we can recognize that today, even though there are churches, they say that Sunday is still one of the most segregated times um, of, the, of, of the year, or of the week. Sunday is the most segregated time, and why? Because that's when church happens. And I believe that we are called to change that. You know, there's a, there's a quote by Carolyn DePoint, and in her book, she says, not only did white Christians fail to fight for black equality, they often labored against it. You might be wondering, why am I trying to make you feel bad, or why am I bringing this up? I think it's very important for us to recognize where we came from so we can understand where we need to go. The reality is that our churches need to come together. We need black and white people in church together. And I believe that um, us as a church, we're gonna continue to grow, we're gonna continue to, to move forward. And I just wanna read this, this scripture, 2 Corinthians, and it's seven, 
verse 9. It says this. This is Paul talking. He says, now I'm overjoyed, not because I made you sad, but because your grief led you to a deep repentance. You experienced godly sorrow, and as God intended, it brought about a gain for you, not a loss, so that no harm has been done by us. And this is where it ends. This is a great part right here. It says, God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. Can I tell you this? We look at our past, even though you might say, oh, I'm not connected to that. Can I say this? That when we take ownership of where we have been in history and we say, you know what? We're going to take a 180 turn from where we were in the past and we're not going to be silent around the issue of racism. We're not going to be silent around the issue of injustice. And we as a church are going to move forward and we are going to change. And guess what that change brings? It brings victory. So we're going to be victorious as the body of Christ because of this change, because of this godly grief, feeling the way God feels. And I believe today we are going to break some of that down in the story, the woman at the well. And G, uh, Judah's been talking a lot about this story. And can I just say this as a black man, um, it is very important for me to recognize that this story impacts me maybe differently than it would to a white man or a white woman, wherever you're from. But me reading this story, there's a couple of things that step out to me, which I truly believe can help us as a church in the fight for racial justice. And tonight, I promise you're gonna hear good news, you're gonna hear the gospel. And um, in the story, just a little bit of context, is Jesus, he's going from Judea to Galilee. And this is a long walk, and guess what? In the story we see Jesus, we don't see that it says Jesus and the disciples, but the disciples are there in the beginning of the story, and they're walking. And they could have gone through a route around the Jordan, which was a longer route, but it was a route that most Jews took because they didn't have to go through Samaria. Now Jesus says, hey, I have to go through Samaria. And so they take the route through Samaria, and when they're there, Jesus is tired. It's hot, it's afternoon, and we pick up the story. Jesus, he's sitting at the well, and it says this. It says, wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Surprised, obviously. I wonder what Jesus' tone was like. She said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replied, if only you knew, if only you knew who I am and the gift of God, the gift that God wants to give to you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give to you living water. If you're taking notes tonight, the, the title of this talk is Follow My Lead. Follow My Lead. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was looking back on my life, I could not help but think about my college experience. I graduated from college about four years ago, went to the Seattle University. I'll never forget my first year. I was 17. My parents still had to sign my papers when I was in college. So it was a little bit of a bummer having to send them stuff and they had to fax me back papers because I wasn't 18 yet. It was just this whole thing. And I'll never forget going to orientation. The first day of orientation, uh, we walk into, there was this big luncheon for all the freshmen. So at this luncheon, your goal was to uh, grab some food and go and find a new person to sit next to. The issue was, is that everyone was new. I didn't know anyone that was at the, at the cafeteria. It was like, all right, like, God, just help me, like, with this plate of food, find a friend and I looked into the vast majority of people. It was like, all right, I see one, two, three, four, 
five black people in this room. Great. This is what we're working with. God is still good. Never forget, grab my food and I go and I turn. I see all these people and they're like, all right, like, um, go find a seat. And I'm trying to find one. I'm late. I don't know why I was late, but um, I look into the crowd and there's this guy who's like waving me over. Like, hey, come sit next to me. Come sit next to me. So I go over there and I sit next to him and uh, we hit it off. We actually became best friends. To this day, we are still best friends. I'll never forget um, about a week into school, we are hanging out. We're meeting all these new people. We're like running up and down the dorms. We're like doing our thing. And we, we, there was a night I went to dinner and I come back and me and Brandon are supposed to hang out. And when we, when we link up, that's how we said it back in the day when we linked up, we, um, he told me, he's like, hey, shit, I was, I, was, I was just in the candy shop downstairs. Shout out 50 Cent. Just in the candy shop was actually more of like a little store. And he comes upstairs and he's like, man, I, I, had a, I had a conversation. I heard these people talking about you. And they're like, man, Shaddai is awesome. But he's just, he's really dark. He's like almost too dark. I remember hearing this and I'm like trying to play it cool, trying to play it tough. Like, oh, I'm good. Ah, people said this about my skin. Hashtag that melanin, that chocolate, chocolate. Sierra, shout out. <laughs> But um, to be honest, deep down, it really hurt. Deep down, it was this, this thing that stung deep, which I couldn't necessarily explain to my white friend how that felt. That someone looked at me and disqualified my skin because it was too dark. And I remember that changed my college experience, so I'm being honest, because I'll never forget going down to that store and going to the little skincare section and choosing a body wash, which had, which was a scrub, a body scrub wash. And the reason why I chose it was so that I could try and scrub my skin in a manner or a way that would make me seem lighter. And I don't say this to make you feel bad, but I say this to give you a little bit of, a little bit of insight into my story. And I say this because there's probably a lot of people in your life Black people who maybe you don't know their story, but they have a story which would impact and change the way you see them. You know, we're here. We're a part of church home. I'll never uh, keep saying I'll never forget. Sorry. Um, it was about a year and a half ago. And literally my hair was long. I had my, my, my dreads were starting to come in. And I noticed the longer my dreads got, the more I started hearing from white people that, hey, I really like your hair when it's short, and I'm like, I wonder why it's only that I'm hearing this from my white friends that they liked my hair when it was short. And whether they meant this or not, to me it was almost like, man, they don't like my blackness. The blacker my hair looks, the more uncomfortable they are with me. And so in the spirit of assimilating, in the spirit of fitting in, I cut my hair. One of my friends was like, man, why did you cut your hair? I just told him honestly, like, you know, I think I just wanted to fit in. And maybe you've done something to fit in before, but I know I have. As, as a black man, I've done things to fit in. And I believe as a community, we are called to be who Jesus has called us to be. And in this story, we see this woman who has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus, while he's at the well, He's not just walking through the well. The, the funny thing is that Jesus is tired and he's sitting at the well, but he doesn't even have anything 
to grab water from the well with. He's just sitting there, almost as if he's waiting. And when, when we see that Jesus is there, he's waiting, and this woman, she walks up. And when she walks up, she's like, why is this Jewish guy, like, just standing here? Like, Jesus says something. He says, give me a drink of water. And she's like, why would you, a Jewish man, ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? If we can be quite frank and look at the history between the Samaritans and the Jews, the Samaritans experienced oppression from the Jewish people. They were the lesser than. They were not as good. And so she had every right to look at Jesus with a little bit of attitude like, why are you talking to me? You have been the oppressor of my people. You have been the oppressor of people that look like me. And not only have you been the oppressor of people like me, but I have been oppressed by my own people. And that's why I'm coming to this well in the afternoon so I don't have to run into anybody. And it happens to be that a Jewish man, the person who would be the last person who I'd want to run into, you're here. Awesome, man. And here's what's so amazing. A lot of times we look at this story and we're like, oh, we are called to go to Samaria. Can I tell you, when we look at this story, Jesus is not walking. Jesus is sitting. And can I say this? That when we as church home go to places that Jesus is taking us, we are not called to stand and to continue just to walk. We are called to stand in moments. But can I tell you this? We are called to sit. And we are called to sit where Jesus is sitting. And if you look at this story, can I ask you, who are you in this story? Are you the woman or are you the disciples? Because I can tell you this, you're not Jesus in this story. Jesus is Jesus. And a lot of times we think as Christians that in this story, we're Jesus going to Samaria. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm the savior. I'm the one that's coming here to save the day. There's that term, they call it um, white saviorism or whatever it might be. We are not called to be in this story. We're called to be like Jesus. But can I say this? We are not Jesus in this story. And Jesus is sitting with this woman, right? And can I ask you, where are you sitting? Who, who are your friends? What do your friends look like? Do they look like me? Do they look just like you? Do you have friends who are different than you? And you might say, no, I, I don't have any friends or people of, of color in my neighborhood. Like, I, it's, my neighborhood's like, it's, it's all one, one type of people. We got to put in the effort. We got to go in the same way Jesus went through Samaria on purpose. We got to be intentional with our friendships. And it's so amazing because Jesus and the, the disciples in this story, even though they do struggle with um, a little bit of racism, or racism just in general, um, they are following Jesus to Samaria. They are there with Jesus. And being in the position of the disciples actually isn't, isn't a bad place because being in that position means that you're following Jesus. And we are called to follow his lead. We are not the ones leading the way into Samaria. Jesus is. And if we sit where Jesus is sitting, I'm telling you, we will be sitting where the Samaritan woman of our city is sitting. If you sit with Jesus, you're going to sit with me. 
you sit with Jesus, you're going to sit with people who don't look like you. If you sit with Jesus, you're going to sit with the Samaritan woman because Jesus is sitting with her. This idea that Jesus sat with her means that he had a conversation with her, means that we are called to have conversations, uncomfortable conversations, not just conversations with people that agree with us, but conversations with people who are different than us so that we can begin to grow our worldview and see things from Jesus' perspective. Jesus sees something in this woman which his disciples could not see. His disciples get back and they're like, why is Jesus talking to this woman? And Jesus, in that moment, that woman's like, all right, like, see ya, I'm out of here. But guess what? Even though, the, even though she felt the disciples' racism, which if I'm being quite frank, there's a lot of times where you can just kind of sense when you're not welcome. She feels that. But her encounter with Jesus was bigger than what she felt from those disciples. So much so, so, much so that she came back and bought droves of people. Jesus wants us to sit with him. In this story, there's another part we see. I'm, I promise I'm coming to a close. I'm not going to be long. We see that Jesus, he knows her story. Can I tell you this right now? Wherever you're sitting, wherever you are, Jesus knows your story. There's that song by Tasha Cobbs. You know my name. I can't sing. I'm telling you, when it comes to that song, I sing it. There's something powerful when we realize that we're known. Jesus, knowing this woman, he tells her, yeah, you've had five husbands, and the person you're living with right now is not even your husband. She's like, oh, you, you must be a prophet. Like, you must be someone special. And she goes on and she says, you know, the, the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us all that we ever needed to know. And Jesus says, I am him. I am him. And what's funny, she didn't even realize that all she needed to know was that Jesus knew her relationship history. Jesus knew her past. Jesus knew the dirty things that she had done. But guess what? That was all that she needed to know. What was it in the tone of Jesus that made this woman so compelled that even though Jesus knew her story, knew her stuff, she felt so compelled to go and tell others, come meet a man who told me all that I ever did. I think he's the Christ. Jesus tells her this, and that's all she needed to know. And I look at my life, I'm like, man, if, if someone would have told me all of my dirt, I don't know, like, tell me one situation where that, that plays out good. Someone tells you everything about you, and you're like, I don't know you. Like, you know all of my dirt? But for some reason, Jesus, so full of grace, so full of love, it's so inspiring to this woman, it's so life-changing that it was enough for her to be empowered to go and reach the other people who looked like her. And so Jesus, in this story, he now empowers this woman in who she is. And he says, I know you through the core of your being. And even though you've made mistakes, even though you're not perfect, I still love you. 
and I am still your savior. There's a song by Bob Fitz, I'm sorry, I'm a music guy. And he goes, he will come and save you. And he just says that over and over, he will come and save you. And Jesus, I'm telling you right now, sorry, I'm bad at singing. He is on his way to save you. He is on his way to save you. And what this woman doesn't realize is that when she says, we are waiting for the Messiah to come, she didn't know that Jesus was actually waiting for her. Jesus was at the well waiting for her way before she was ever ever waiting for him. And can I tell you, behind that screen, wherever you are, sitting in a room, sitting with friends, sitting on your own, Jesus is waiting for you. And he's calling you to himself. And he's saying, come and sit with me. Come and be where I am. Come and be with the people. Come and be with me. Come, the Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, come to me, all who are wearied, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to give you rest. There's people on this call, on this, on this, who are watching this tonight who are tired. You're just tired. And can I tell you, Jesus is waiting for you. Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm the answer. I am the one that you need. Come to me. And I end on this point. The end of the story. This woman goes, she's empowered so much so by who Jesus is that she goes and reaches the people that look like her. And it's so funny to me because in this story, it's not that the disciples go to Samaria and they preach and all these Samaritans come and hear the word. It was through one person who was empowered that went back and told her people, come meet this man. And that's how the Samaritans met Jesus. It was through one woman. Who is it in your life that is different than you? That is the person that we as a church or you as an individual are called to go after, called to wait for so that they can go to the side of town which maybe you wouldn't fit in, but you can empower them to go. And they can tell their friends and people that look like them about Jesus. And so when the people come back, they come back in droves. This is a Samaritan woman, and she's got all these people behind her, like a pack. And Jesus has this encounter with this, this conversation with his disciples, and they're like, hey, um, Jesus, I think you should eat some food. And when he eat, and Jesus is like, no, I've got food that you don't even know about. And they're like, well, you sent us into the town to get lunch. Like, what are you talking about? You've ate. And he says this in verse 35, says, as the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look, the people are coming. Now is the harvest time. Now is the harvest time. The disciples didn't even recognize that the Samaritans were the harvest that Jesus had been longing for, that Jesus was hungry for. And now all of a sudden, Jesus, his hunger is filled by the Samaritans meeting him and the Samaritans coming to know his name. Can I tell you today that I want to know, 
Are you hungry? Am I hungry for what Jesus is hungry for? Am I thirsty? Am I, am I wondering? Am I longing for what Jesus is longing and thirsty for? Are you hungry for what Jesus is hungry for? Are you partaking in the food that Jesus is partaking in? Because these disciples weren't. The disciples were too caught up on the food that they had. They were too caught up on what they saw and they didn't realize that Jesus had acknowledged that there was a harvest right in front of their face. I believe today as church home, can I just say this, we are called to hunger for what Jesus hungers for. We are called to thirst for what Jesus thirsts for. Why? Because that's where real life is. I'm done eating the same food every day. I'm done eating the same type of meals. I want to have an array of food that Jesus is offering. The food that Jesus is eating, I want to eat that. I'm done eating my food. I'm done just sitting here and just being caught up with my regular life. I want to go where Jesus is going. I want to be the one that is right there with him, following his lead, right there with him and understanding that, you know what? Man, I am not leading the way. I am not the one that needs to figure this out. Jesus is leading the way. And it's because Jesus encounters this woman why all the Samaritans came and met him that day. I'm done. I promise I'm done. I want to end on this. If you could just close your eyes for just a second. I want you to picture heaven. Picture who's walking around. Picture the people there. Who do you see? Do you just see people who look like you? Because there's a verse in Revelation. Keep your eyes closed, please. Revelation 7, 9, it says this. It says, after I looked, and behold, right in front of me, I saw a vast multitude of people, an enormous multitude, so huge that no one could count, made up of victories, victorious ones, from every nation, tribe, people group, and language. Heaven, can I tell you this? You can open your eyes. It's not full of one people group. It's full of all of us. And if heaven's going to be that way, why don't we get used to it now? Why do we lend a hand and say, you know what? Man, I'm going to lay down what I used to think about that people group. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to say, you know what, Jesus, if I'm sitting with you, I'm sitting with that Samaritan woman. If I'm walking with you, I'm empowering people who don't look like me to go tell others that the gospel isn't just for people who look like me. The gospel is not a white gospel. It's not a black gospel either. It's all of us. This is Jesus' gospel because there's going to be, like that verse said, people from all tribes, tongues, and people group. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you today that your righteousness, God, it flows like a river. And God, we thank you that you have called us, Jesus, to be a church that truly looks like heaven. And I thank you that even though right now 
we might see different. You are changing our hearts. We're making a 180 degree turn from where we are right now, being silent, Jesus, to following where you're going and being loud about justice. If there's anyone on this and, and you're wondering, man, I, I, I'm longing for a relationship with Jesus. Can I just say today is your day. Right now is your moment. Right now, I believe Jesus wants to connect with you. You know, in Romans 5, 8 says, for while we were still sinners, Christ died. While you were at your worst, Jesus died for you. And like that woman, even though Jesus knew her past, there was so much grace for her that she felt, man, come meet a man who is the Christ. And I believe today there's people who are meeting the Christ. There are people who are meeting Jesus. They're realizing that he knows everything about you. He knows everything about what you've done. And he says, I died for you and I love you. So if that's you, you would say, you know what? I wanna have this relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna count to three and you can slip up your hand. The Bible says in John 3, 16, whomsoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's because of what Jesus did. And God sent him to die for us. If that's you, you would say that. Go ahead and slip up your hand, put it right back down. And Jesus, we just thank you for these hands. We thank you for these individuals who are now connected to you. We thank you that your love, it flows like a river. And we thank you that we are the recipients of this love, God, which only you can bring. This love, God, which only you supply. And we thank you, God, that you are so good. You are so great. We pray that you would be with all of us, God, be with us as a church, God, and that we would follow you to where you are going. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are empowering us to go to the places and spaces which we couldn't go on our own. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.